Hello everyone, welcome back to Point of Insanity Game Studios Geekery in General Podcast. I am Al, and today we're going to be taking a look at another one of the Outer Planes from First Edition's Manual of the Planes, and that plane is Elysium. And this is the home of the righteous as well as heroes. Now, the name Elysium, or I think I've also heard it pronounced Elysium, I'm not sure which is the correct one. I'm used to pronouncing it Elysium, so that's the pronunciation that I'm going to use here. But it has its roots in Greek mythology, where, and as I said before, it's pictured as being the home of heroes and the righteous. Now, also, it seems to be related to another concept called the Isles or the Islands of the Blessed. And it was said that in order to go here, you had to have been reincarnated three times. And in all three of those times, if you would have remained righteous, then you had earned the right to enter Elysium. Elysium has been described in several ways by several different poets. Sometimes it's described as a series of islands, other times as a single island. But one thing is consistent, and that is those who are able to earn a place here enjoy an existence without care and could engage in whatever pastimes they wanted to. Now I'm going to read some of the descriptions of Elysium from the uh, some Greek writers. First, the well-known poet Homer described it as such in the Odyssey. To the Elysian plain, where life is easiest for men, no snow is there, nor heavy storm, nor ever rain, but ever does ocean send up blasts of the shrill blowing west wind that they may give cooling to men. Uh, a place where there's no snow. That sounds like paradise to me. Uh, especially right now. I am recording this on uh, April 6th. And earlier this week, we had a big snowstorm rip through the area. We got about 7 or 8 inches of snow. And then today we had another couple of inches of snow as well. And I think... Last I saw the weather report, they're also predicting snow either uh, this weekend or uh, early next week. And there's a couple more snowfalls they're predicting. Hopefully, they're not going to be uh, big snowfalls. I'm really kind of tired of snow at this point. But anyways, I digress. Now, uh, Hesod, in Works and Days, described... Elysium like this. And they live untouched by sorrow in the islands of the blessed along the shore of deep swirling ocean. Happy heroes for whom the grain-giving earth bears honey-sweet fruit flourishing thrice a year far from the deathless gods and Kronos rules over them. And then finally, uh, Pindar in the Odes describes it as follows. The good receive a life free from toil, not scraping with the strength of their arms the earth, nor the water of the sea, for the sake of a poor sustenance. 
but in the presence of the honored gods, those who gladly kept their oaths enjoy a life without tears, while the others undergo a toil that is unbearable to look at. Those who have persevered three times on either side to keep their souls free from all wrongdoing follow Zeus's road to the end to the Tower of Kronos where ocean breezes blow around the island of the blessed. And flowers of gold are blazing, some from splendid trees on land, while water nurtures others. With these wreaths and garlands of flowers, they entwine their hands according to the righteous consuls of Radamathus, whom the great father, the husband of Rhea, whose throne is above all others, keeps close beside him as his partner. So again, we see this as the uh, a Greek version of paradise. Because you may recall a few episodes ago, my friend Dawn and I did talk a bit about uh, the Greek afterlife in uh, our episode about the three glooms, uh, Hades. And you may recall that there was the part where there was... Uh, you know, people who had committed great crimes or sins, they were punished. The people who eh, led kind of average lives didn't really suffer, but they weren't really rewarded. And then this would be the part where the, the those who had led good lives would go. Welcome to Bone Throwers Theater. Nah, it's not that kind of show. It's an RPG actual play podcast. My name is Jordan, and I'm joined by our fun-loving cast. This is Aaron. Jeff here. Johnny is my name. And I'm Jeremy. And what we do is dive in and play various tabletop RPG systems and games, such as Mini 6, Fiasco, Inspectors, Monster of the Week, Fate, and more. But no matter the rule set or setting, some pretty intense storytelling hits the fan. So whether you like epic fantasy, adventure, comedy, sci-fi, horror, or just horrifically bad puns, we've got something to feast your imagination on. Listen to our full episodes and more at BoneThrowersTheater.com. And may the bones fall ever in your favor. So how do the authors of the Manual of the Plains picture Elysium? Well, it's listed as the plane of the neutral good alignment. It is benevolence and compassion without a lean towards law and organization or individuality. So again, that happy medium between lawful good and chaotic good. It is described as being the realm for those who are at final rest. Now, the dominant feature of this plane is the river Oceanus. It is the upper plane counterpart to the Styx. It's described as usually being a peaceful river, but it can be broken by rapids and waterfalls. And unlike the Styx, there's no ill effects for coming into contact with the water of the river Oceanus. It, you would risk drowning, but that's about it. There's four layers to this plane. Now, I couldn't really find any mythological counterparts to these four layers. Uh, the first is called Amoria, and this name actually is uh, shared with a type of marine gastropod. 
It is heavily forested when you're near uh, the river Oceanus, but eventually the forest starts to give way to grasslands, and then eventually to an arid desert. The second realm is Aronia, and this is the name of a genus of butterfly. Uh, this part of the plain is described as being more mountainous, so waterfalls are much more common here. The third layer is Belarian, and I couldn't really find any sort of meaning behind that name, so not really sure where that came from. It's described as being flat and marshy. And then the final layer is Thalacia. And the name does sound familiar, so I'm not sure if I've heard it somewhere, but I couldn't really uh, find any mythological meaning or attachments to that name. But it is described as being the Great Sea, where the river Oceanus starts and eventually ends and comes back to. This is also where the Isles of the Blessed are. So this is where uh, you find people who either died for the cause of good or who were taken here by the gods. Now there are several gods and goddesses that are listed as making their residence here. The first is the famous Egyptian goddess Isis. She's the wife of Osiris and the mother of Horus. She's associated with protection, royalty, and motherhood. Now, after the Egyptians came into contact with the Greeks and the Romans, she also became worshipped by uh, those people as well, as we do find cults of Isis all throughout the Greco-Roman world. In some parts, she was called Isis of the Sea, and she was called upon to protect sailors and harbors. She also did play some role in some of the Mediterranean mystery cults. What did the mystery cults believe? Well, I can't tell you, because if I told you, it wouldn't be a mystery anymore, would it? Well, all that joke aside, okay, yeah, that was a pretty bad joke, but anyways, the way I understand it is a lot of these mystery cults uh, their goal or their their practices involved extreme religious experiences. So they would sometimes expose themselves to periods of darkness and then all of a sudden bright light and uh, loud noises. And what this was supposed to do, I guess, was try to bring them closer to the gods or the goddesses. And I think I read in one book that the uh, ultimate goal of people who were part of these mystery cults was to achieve immortality. Now, Isis is actually a very fitting match for this plane, because again, it's described as being the uh, realm of those who perished for the cause of good and a home for people who are at final rest. And Isis was associated with healing. She was also aided the soul's transition into the afterlife. We also see other uh, links she has with the afterlife because of her role in the Osiris myth where she uh, finds the dismembered body of her husband Osiris, puts him back together, and then brings him back to life so they can have their son Horus. There's another Egyptian god here as well, Seker. 
and he is said to tend to the needs of the souls in the Isles of the Blessed. And again, very fitting match because in Egyptian mythology, he does have connections to the afterlife. He's often represented as a mummified hawk. And there's also some rights to him tilling the ground, so he may have had a connection with agriculture as well. And it's also believed he helped the uh, soul also find safe passage through the underworld. There's also Ishtar, and as you may recall from my episode on the Nine Hells, uh, specifically the Gods of Hell, uh, we had her counterpart Inanna in there. Again, in the, the Middle East, they were considered more or less the same goddess, though uh, just worshipped under different names. And again, I'm not really sure I'm going to buy that she belongs here because a lot of the stories I've and myths that I've read about Ishtar and Nana seems like a pretty capricious uh, goddess. So I think in a way she is a little bit better suited for the Nine Hells than Elysium. I mean, the only way I could think that she would have uh, any sort of place here is maybe the authors were drawing upon her role as a goddess of justice, as she is the sister to uh, the god Utu, also known as Shamash, and he was the god of the sun as well as being a god of justice. The next god we have is also from the Mediterranean, or not the Mediterranean, I'm sorry, the... uh, Mesopotamia, and that's Enlil. He was the god of air, wind, earth, and storms. He was also associated with kingship and law. He appears in both Sumerian and Babylonian mythology, as well as Akkadian mythology. Now, the Sumerian version of the uh, creation myth places Enlil as the creator of the world who separated the earth and sky. He also rewarded a person named Zusudra with immortality since he survived the Great Flood. Now, not much is known about this particular myth. Uh, We have to kind of draw a lot of more parallels to the uh, Babylonian and Akkadian versions, which are more complete, because the tablets that tell this story were badly damaged as well as being incomplete. Now, in this version of the mythic cycle, we don't know what causes the flood or exactly what led Enlil to reward a mortal with immortality. Now, the Akkadian version, that pictures him in a a more negative light. He's actually the one who caused the flood in anger. He thought the world was becoming overpopulated, and that humans were too noisy, which prevented him from sleeping. So he tried wiping out humanity with famine, but that failed due to the intervention of the god Enki. Now, uh, of course, Enlil didn't like the fact that Enki was messing up his plans, so he decided he was going to wipe out the human race with the Great Flood and he ordered Enki not to interfere. But Enki, of course, found a way. Uh, He spoke to a man named Atrahasis in a dream. And Atrahasis, his name means something to the effect of all-wise or exceptionally wise. In this dream, 
Enki tells a house to turn itself into a boat and save lives. So Atrahasis, being the wise person he is, took the hint, created a boat, and used that to save uh, some people and animals from the flood. Now, an interesting note, the flood myths like this are very common in the Middle East. Uh, we see them in Mesopotamia. Uh, also, of course, there's the story in the Bible of the Great Flood. But some scholars have suggested that there may have been a historical event that inspired this idea of a great flood and a single surviving family. Now, I don't remember what documentary I saw it on, but there was one historical account of a merchant and his family, and they were loading their goods onto a series of large rafts that were were lashed together. Well, then there was a sudden heavy rain, followed by a flood. The merchant and his family sought refuge on their rafts and were washed out to sea. And eventually they were able to uh, get back to shore. So that may have been one of the uh, events that could have inspired a lot of these early flood stories. Now, honestly, Enlil sounds like he'd be a better fit for Nirvana or possibly Acheron because while he he has that lawful component to him, uh, just from the stories I remember reading about him, doesn't really seem like a deity that fits very well with the neutral good alignment. Uh, There's a couple other Mesopotamian deities here. There's also Nin, Hursag, and couldn't find much about her. Uh, She's a mother goddess and the wife of Enki. And then there's also Nana Sin, or sometimes he's just called Sin. He was a god of the moon, protector of shepherds. And not only that, he's also associated with both astronomy and astrology. And in some parts of Mesopotamia, he was the king of the gods. He was father to both Shamash and Ishtar. Now, Manual of the Plains mentions that he travels the plain on a crescent-shaped boat. However, don't mistake him for being a good-aligned version of of Karen, though. Uh, He is not necessarily going to give you a free ride, and those wishing for a ride on the god's boat must make a deal with him first. There's also a Hindu goddess named Ushash. Now, this is the goddess of the dawn, and she is said to ride a chariot drawn by red horses. And as a goddess of the dawn, the symbolism here is pretty clear. She was said to have the power to drive away demons and darkness, as well as set all things in motion. She brings people light that wakes them up and gets them going about their day and their duties. She's said to be very beautiful and brings joy to all those who look upon her. The holy text of the Rig Veda describes her as follows. The radiant dawns have risen up for glory in their white splendor like the waves of waters. She maketh paths all easy, fair to travel, and rich hath shown herself benign and friendly. 
We see you, thou art good. Far shines thy luster, thy beams, thy splendors, have flown up to heaven. Decking thyself, thou makest bare thy bosom, shining in majesty, thou goddess mourning. So, sounds like a very benevolent deity, and I think she would definitely fit very well in the realm of Elysium. Now, the next god they mention is Sukinomi. This is a Japanese god, venerated in the Shinto religion. I'm probably going to be doing a lot of mispronunciation here, so bear with me. Uh, he is the son of the god Izangi. Now, after Izangi's wife had died while giving birth to the god of fire, Kagatushi, Izangi went to the underworld to follow her. He was horrified, though, at what she had become. Uh, she was a, well, a rotting corpse covered in maggots. Now, upon leaving the underworld, Izangi took a ritual bath to purify himself. And it was said that uh, Sukiyami was born from his right eye, the goddess Amaterasu came from his left eye, and the god Susano was born when he washed his nose. Now, I really wasn't able to find much in the way of uh, stories about him, so I can't really say whether he's a good match for this plane or not. Finally, there is Bragi, the Norse god of poetry. He was said to have a long beard, as well as to be very eloquent of speech, and he often uh, had a harp. We know a little bit about Bragi from the Norse poetic Edda, as well as the prose Edda. In one of the poems, Loki's Quarrel, the gods are having a feast after the death of Baldr, and Loki tries to come to the feast even though he's not invited, and Bragi will not let Loki in. However, Odin uh, forces Bragi to let Loki enter because uh, there's a line, or there's a verse where Loki says, Do you remember, Odin, when in bygone days we mixed our blood together? You said you would never drink ale unless it were brought to both of us. So, Odin uh, begrudgingly lets Loki in and asks his son, uh, Vidar, to uh, give us give him his space. And as the feast starts, uh, Bragi, he tries to make amends for not letting Loki in. And he says, a horse and a sword I'll give you from my possessions. And Bragi will compensate you with a ring. So you don't repay the Aesir with hatred. Don't make the gods exasperated with you. Loki said, both horses and arm rings you'll always be short of, Bragi. And the Aesir and the elves who are in here... You're the most wary of war, and shyest of shooting. Bragi said, I know if I were outside, just as now I am inside Aegir's hall, your head I'd be holding in my hand. I'd reward your lies with that. Bragi said, You're brave in your seat, but you won't do as you say, Bragi the bench ornament. You run away if you see before you an angry man, brave in spirit. And just a little bit about Norse poetics here. Uh, they're using some kennings here. Basically, if you call someone a bench ornament, as you may have guessed from the text there, you're saying they're a coward. 
And the poetic structure of uh, Loki's quarrel is actually uh, pretty interesting. It's uh, essentially the Loki is taking turns attacking the different gods and goddesses, uh, accusing of them of various things. Sometimes we know what Loki's referring to, other times we don't. Uh, for example, he accuses the goddess Iduna of throwing her arms or getting married to her brother's killer, who is Bragi, as Iduna is Bragi's uh, wife. Now, we don't have any surviving poems or lore that tell us of Iduna having a brother. So, again, the, the author here is maybe referring to a poem or a story that has long since been lost. And again, another thing we see here is uh, there is a genre within Norse poetry, and I think it's pronounced flighting, and essentially that is a verbal sparring match, which we see here where uh, Loki accuses Bragi of being a coward, and then he makes a comeback. So usually the way most flightings work is, well, let's say that I was to accuse you of being a coward. Well, then, you, dear listener, uh, you would come back often telling of some great heroic deed that you did. And then, after you tell me of your great heroic deed, you might challenge me to top that. You might say, you know, I was fighting dragons in the far north. What were you doing? And then, I might respond by saying, oh, those dragons you were fighting were mere babes. Or I might try to say, well, well, you fought one dragon, I fought ten. And then again, you might respond by trying to top that deed. Or you might try to say that my deed wasn't really as great as I think it is. Now, Bragi also plays a role in the Poetic Edda in a section called Skaldis Kapamal. I probably did not pronounce that correctly, but it translates something to the effect of the language of poetry. And this is in the prose edda of Snorri Stuljersson. Now in this section, we have a dialogue between Bragi and the sea god Aegir. And uh, Bragi tells Aegir of the story of Odin's recovery of the Mead of Inspiration. This section also gives us a good deal of information on kennings, or Norse poetic devices, which, as I said, I mentioned one before, uh, calling someone a bench ornament, or another term you might use is like cold chewer, or a sulker. Uh, these were all ways you could call someone a coward, whereas, well, the opposite, if you say someone is shining, that means they're brave or strong, or also in Norse poetics, it's common to refer to men and women in the in terms of trees. Uh, for example, a man might be called a sword tree, whereas a woman might be called a jewelry tree. And this goes back to the Norse creation story about uh, mankind being created from trees. So there we have it. A look at Elysium in the first edition, Manual of the Plains. So, as always, I hope you enjoyed this episode. 
And thanks for tuning in. Have a good evening or morning or afternoon. Whatever it is, wherever you are, and happy gaming. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at poigamestudio. Do you do a podcast about Dungeons and Dragons, role-playing games, video games, or other topics of geek interest? Would you like to cross-promote your podcast on geekery in general? Then drop us a line on our Facebook page at POI Game Studio or POI Network, or contact us through our website at POIGamestudio.com, and we'll set something up.